Welcome to Voices of Santa Clara. Having a good idea doesn't get you done. And if we'd hit those, there would have been an explosion. We would have died, obviously. Scholarship should cultivate the virtues. Worry more about, am I searching for what I should be doing next in the world? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Voices of Santa Clara. I'm Gavin Cosgrave coming to you from my dorm room at Santa Clara. It is week one of spring quarter and great things are afoot. Because it's week one, almost no one is in the library. But a few weeks ago, at the end of last quarter, there were hundreds and hundreds of students in the library every day. But all of those people were unaware that they were in the presence of today's guest, Bob Owen, who is the Chief Information Officer of Santa Clara. Um, Bob Owen's office is on the second floor of the library, kind of hidden in the front, so he has a great view of everyone coming in and out, but they don't know that he's there around campus. Bob is the tech guy. As Chief Information Officer and Vice Provost, Owen oversees all forms of technology at the university, whether that's the internet or phones, all the way to special research equipment. Um, And around campus, Owen is especially known for his creative and witty emails that he sends out when things go wrong, like when the internet goes down or the phones uh, stop working. And in this interview, we cover how Owen found a career path combining his passions for technology and people, um, the secret behind his, quote, perfect dissertation, and also what new technologies he's looking into for the next several years at Santa Clara. And then finally, what everyone really wants to know, we deconstruct his philosophy for writing campus-wide emails, as well as uh, we learn about some of the responses that he gets from students and faculty. Bob is a super funny guy, and I think you will find this interview insightful and interesting. So let's roll the tape and listen to the interview. Thanks for listening, as always. So I'm excited to be here today with Bob Owen, the Chief Information Officer and Vice Provost at Santa Clara. So I'd love to start out by asking, when did you discover your love for technology? So I think it's always been something, even when I was a little kid, that it it always kind of interested me. Um, So I was born in 61, so technology was a little different growing up than it is now. So I didn't have computers or anything like that. But we had TVs and radios, and that was kind of interesting to me. So I would mess around with that kind of stuff. Um, Cameras as well, Um, tape recorders, um, all that stuff. And then I got into uh, middle school and high school, and we first had the, like, true cameras that we could record for uh, cable, or not cable, but uh, closed-access TV, um, basically, for our schools. And so that was kind of interesting uh, as well. So, but it's pretty much since I was a little kid, it just, mm-hmm. these kind of things always interested me. Mm-hmm. And then what were your career plans when you were in college? Uh, to get out <laughs> successfully. I mean, I had thought about, I, my major obviously had a double major, MIS and industrial relations. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I had MIS because I was interested in technology Um, and industrial relations because I liked working with people. Mm -hmm. And so if I had to guess, 
when I was in college, I would have said that I probably would have ended up like a vice president of human resources uh, because I, while I enjoyed technology, it was always kind of like a hobby, but it was people that I really, really enjoyed working with and doing things with. So I figured that would be the case. Uh, when I graduated, um, it was mid-80s and there was a recession. Uh, so HR jobs, I, I, I applied for HR jobs and I applied for, uh, at that point, there were systems analyst programmer jobs, mm-hmm. MIS type jobs. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the point that I applied, there really were no HR jobs at all. But technology is, I mean, it ebbs and flows, but there's always somewhat of a demand. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up uh, getting interviews for technology jobs, and, and then that's kind of how I got it. But I wish I could say I had some grand plan that I would mm-hmm. I do this then and I do that, but things have just kind of fallen into place and unfolded mm-hmm. kind of on their own for me. Mm-hmm. What did you learn in those first couple jobs out of college? Was there anything that maybe school couldn't teach you or a different area that technology was moving? Yeah, so <clears throat> it's kind of funny. The... Um, my dad had always told me that um, all that a college degree does is certify that you're a trainable person. <laughs> and so I learned that right away on my first job. Um, I was a programmer analyst for the state of Wisconsin Department of Development. And I got there, and the first thing is that they sent me off to learn a programming language I had never even heard of before and on systems I had never, ever touched before. So all of this knowledge I had, and then this is back in the day, so I knew COBOL. Fortran and basic, none of which were applicable in my job. So one of the first things I learned was any of you can have all the preparation that you want. Uh, when you come into a particular job, um, they're going to train you or they're going to have you operate just the way that just the way that you want. Um, so another thing that I learned is that you you can't sit and wait for people to make things happen for you for your career. For things you're interested in. So if you see things that are of interest, you need to communicate and reach out and tell people, hey, you know, this is of interest to me. I'd like to try doing this, that, or the other thing. Mm-hmm. And so that, uh, I think that's that's another good lesson. Um, the um, But the, the, the main lesson being uh, people will People will train you, at least in, the, in our area, mm-hmm. when you get into um, a technology job, <clears throat> people will train you uh, in the ways that typically that they want you to, to work in and the tools that they want. Mm-hmm. And you've worked for a variety of educational organizations and government, um, and those types of organizations are known for not being so innovative and kind of being right. slow to adapt to new technologies. So how do you kind of think about innovating in environments like that? So the the key to being successful, I think, in, situ- in, in environments that are not conducive to innovation is the it's the old WIFM, what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. And you need to establish relationships with the user community so that they know who you are, they know you're credible, um, they know that you know what you're doing, um, and especially they know that you're willing to listen to them, that you understand their problems, and you're willing to work with them to try to find solutions. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a that goes a long way in helping to identify or getting the support behind you should you identify an innovative approach, solution, hardware, software, whatever the technology might be. If If it's me just as a tech guy trying to make the case, oh, you need to do this just because this is 
a techie thing you should do. That's not going to work. If the user community, though, rears up and it says, hey, what Bob just said, this particular tool, this particular piece of software, we need that because it'll help us do our jobs better. It'll help us serve students better. It'll help X, Y, Z, whatever the case is. So, um, so it's may sound kind of unusual, but honestly, I think in environments that are slow to change, um, with a lot of uh, organizational inertia, that collaborating with the user community and having them come along with you as you identify things is probably the most successful approach you can you mm-hmm. can have to try to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, on your bio, it says you so you get your doctorate in public <coughs> administration from the University of Laverne. Yeah, and it says. Uh, your dissertation, New Sciences-Based <laughs> Leadership and Student Success in California's Community College is the only dissertation in the history of the program to be accepted without edits. So That's right. How did you write something so perfect, I guess? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I hesitate to, to, note, to put perfect to attach to any part of me, but um, I, that was really a, I, I really enjoyed my doctoral program. I mean, I just thoroughly was immersed in it. It was interesting. What I wrote my dissertation on, the new sciences, chaos theory, quantum physics, and self-organizing systems. To me, those, when I started reading, there was a book um, called uh, Margaret uh, Wheatley, Leadership of the New Science. And when I read that book, it was like all the pieces just fell into place. So I was really enthused about my dissertation topic. Um, And they always advise you in a doctoral program, you better love whatever you're writing about because you're going to hate it by the time you're done with it because mm-hmm. you're so immersed in it. But I love that. I love the program. And so when I went to write my dissertation, um, what I th- this goes back to my uh, training as in debate. So when I was in high school, I was in debate. And then I coached debate um, and I judged debate and then coached debate. And so one of the things you want to do is, and what I thought is, what are all the arguments they're going to use against me? Because you're going to get in front of a committee and they're going to try to pick apart whatever the premise is and whatever you're saying. They're going to find every little chink in your armor that they can find. So I tried to think of all the questions, all the ways they could come at me and hit me in every which way that I could. And then I wrote the argument rebuttals into my dissertation. And so when they would say, well, what about blah, blah, blah? Mm-hmm. And I could say, well, as I noted on page 79 in this mm-hmm. section here, you know, and I'd have mm-hmm. the response. And mm-hmm. so I think, um, I think that went a long way to, um, to doing that. But that, I, I have to also, this is a, kind of an interesting story. Most people, when they defend a dissertation, it's their dissertation committee and maybe an outside reader in a room. So you maybe have four people. So I, <laughs> for my dissertation, uh, my uh, one of my professors advised his class that if they wanted to see a really good dissertation defense, they should come and they should go to my defense. Mm-hmm. So I walked into the room and basically I had 30 people in a tiny little conference room. Mm-hmm. So they were kind of like lining the walls. So mm-hmm. it was uh, it was a little bit different than your normal mm-hmm. defense. But anyway, so I but back to your question, I I just tried to. Think of all the ways they could come at me mm-hmm. and to and to argue, they put the argument rebuttal right into the into mm-hmm. the writing. You had already been working for a while after college, so why did you feel the need to go back and get that degree? So one of the things that I believe is that 
you never, uh, you're always in a state of becoming. You never actually reach someplace that the moment you think you've, you've done it, you've reached it, you're there, you're dead. Um, because at that point, skills start to atrophy. Um, you know, that's old saying, get fat, dumb, and happy. You're just, you rest on your laurels. And so um, I can't do that. By <laughs> I, I, It's just not how I'm constructed. And so, um, so I, I needed to continue to learn. Um, also, honestly, um, in my profession in education, um, if you want to continue to move up, you stand a better chance of doing so with advanced degrees. And so um, that's why, um, uh, well, actually, I, I never took time off of work. I, I worked my way through my bachelor's program, um, and then I worked full-time while I was in my master's program and finished that in two years, and then I worked full-time when I was in my doctoral program. Mm-hmm. So I kind of did both at the same time. I. I wish I, I uh, we didn't have money growing up, but um, it would have been nice to have been able just to, you know, concentrate on school, but I didn't have that luxury. So I always kind of mm-hmm. had, I did both. Mm-hmm. And then how did you move more in from like technical roles to leadership roles, I guess? How did, how did that happen for you? Um, so part of it is that I was very successful at what I was doing in the technical roles and um, because of that, uh, the organizations that I worked for, um, they, I think they saw in me that capability, those skill sets, mm-hmm. and uh, kept promoting me or moving me up the chain. And so um, I also think part of it was um, just my something innate, and I don't know how else to explain it, but since I was even a little kid, I would organize things. I would put things together. Um, when I was in high school, I was president of the Southeastern Wisconsin Student Council. So my senior year of high school, I had 477,000 constituents. Mm-hmm. And I would go I would go to Madison and testify for and against bills and at hearings. And so that kind of strand, if you will, um, was there pretty early on. So undoubtedly, I'm guessing that kind of came out too. Mm-hmm. And then moving more into your job here. Yeah. Um, when people hear chief information officer, they probably imagine you doing some important things related to technology, but what do you actually do on a day-to-day basis? So uh, that's a very good question. (laughs) Um, It's interesting because there's always something new every single day. My calendar, well, my calendar is rarely unfilled, but to the point that it's unfilled in certain slots and on certain days, um, I never worry that I'm going to not have something to do because inevitably something is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, also, obviously, I structure activities and everything. But, you know, my job is to advocate for technology at the institution. Um, and so I do that by talking with people, talking with groups. Um, I Part of it is what I call management by walking around, mm-hmm. just going through my areas um, that report to me talking with people, making sure that they've got the resources that they need to do their jobs. Mm-hmm. Kind of like almost, even if you go to use a football analogy, I'm, I'm kind of like a blocker. Uh, my job is to clear the path for the running back behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And those are my folks that they can go out and do their jobs. Mm-hmm. So that's part of it as well. So, um, so, so day-to-day, it's a, a wide variety of a whole bunch of different types of things. Obviously, 
meetings with different parts of our organization, uh, meetings with deans, meeting with vice provost, meetings with vice presidents, with the directors that we have around uh, the university, faculty and staff. Um, so it's it's there's no um, there's no set kind of standard day, I guess I would say that mm-hmm. I really have. Mm-hmm. How much of it is kind of planning for the future versus responding to problems when something goes wrong? Um, overall, um, so if I were to take a look at that on a yearly basis, mm-hmm. um, I would say that probably the planning for the future part is uh, maybe 40%, 50%. And that's not just me sitting at my desk thinking, oh, I wonder what the future will be. It's me <laughs> talking to different people and meeting with people. Um, We're plugged in with different advisory committees nationwide for our uh, different vendors that we do business with. Mm -hmm. And so looking at it that way. So yeah, it's it's difficult to say. Now, when we have problems, Mm -hmm. (laughs) something goes haywire, Mm -hmm. um, then uh, obviously my time is largely spent trying to fix things or get the right resources or communicate to the campus communities to let them know what's going on. Mm -hmm. So it kind of varies. Mm -hmm. If I were right now to walk into the library and just ask someone, uh, who's Bobo? And they might say, oh, he's the technology guy who sends funny emails when the internet goes out. Um, And so last year, specifically, you sent an email. uh, It was titled, the subject line was waiting for Godot, the search for the Holy Grail and email for life. Um, And you haven't been shy about throwing jabs at AT AT&T or Uh -uh. Cisco or other other companies in your campus-wide emails. So I want to know, what is your philosophy for sending these emails, and how do you kind of balance the getting the information out and the humor parts of sure. it? Sure. So, well, the, when I came here and started talking to folks, one of the things I heard loud and clear is that there was a desire for much more communication. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? And so, I mean, come on, who wants to read an email from the CIO? Let's get real. Uh-huh. You know, you guys have so many other things going on in your mm-hmm. lives. Um, administrators, faculty, staff, they've got all, their, their lives are full. So, you know, and, but I have to communicate some things mm-hmm. because what we, technology touches every part of this organization. There's no part that is untouched. So if we do something big, there's a very good chance you're going to feel it somehow, some way. So I got to communicate that, but I got to get it out there in a way so that you really will read it. And so, I mean, when I first got here, if you look at my first emails out Mm -hmm. to the campus community, they're pretty formal and straight up. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was fine. But, you know, again, it was like, man, how am I going to get folks to read it? So I don't know. I just decided, well, you read the the formal message. And I thought, what's then, 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 you know, people might stop me and say, well, you know, just give me the quick lowdown. And Mm -hmm. so I thought, well, it's like an FAQ section, you know, basically. Let's just cut to the chase. What are the main questions that people want to know? Because your time is valuable. Mm-hmm. So let me just get down to it in a, in a colloquial way, a conversational way. And so that's that's what I started. That's why I started doing that, hoping that people would read the other part. And then the humor just <laughs> the humor. I don't know. It just kind of crept in. I just decided, you know, what the heck? I'm just going to go uh-huh. for it. You know. And mm-hmm. so. And I'll tell you what, um, people people actually read my emails, um, and I know this because they they reply to them. <laughs> and some of yeah. the things that I've written, you know, from time to time, 
Yeah, and so what you mentioned about you know taking jabs at AT and T or Cisco, that I refuse to accept anything less than the best service from our vendors. Um, you know, I don't really care. Sometimes it, it's a lot of vendors. They look at education as, oh, we're, we're a bunch of warm fuzzies and you can do anything to us. We just don't really care. Mm-hmm. Forget it. Um, I want, and I, this is my, I call it my vendor spiel. Mm-hmm. And I get them in here, AT&T, IBM, Cisco, Apple, they all hear the same thing. I, I'm really easy to get along with. I expect excellent service all the time. If I get it, I'll sing your praises to high heaven. If I don't, I'm going to go right up the chain till I get that service. And nobody's perfect. So if you make a mistake, you raise your hand, you say, okay, we screwed up. We learned from it. We learned from it. We won't do it again. And, but, but that's honestly my expectation. So a lot of times where you guys sit, if something all of a sudden isn't working, like when the phones went down for all that period of time, um, so I've got a really great staff, and uh, we're a really good group of professionals. So we've done everything we can, and we do everything we can in those situations we did. And still, you know, AT&T were the ones that screwed up. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not going to cover for AT&T. Mm-hmm. Forget it. Or mm-hmm. Cisco. I mean, Cisco's a great company. Mm-hmm. We use them for our network. It's wonderful equipment. It's fantastic technology. Mm-hmm. But when you screw up, I, again, I, you screw up, and um, you know we. As long as you try to work with us, that's great. But AT, yeah, AT and T is <laughs> AT and T is a four letter word to me. Uh, mm-hmm. So they they leave a lot to be desired. They're better than they were. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so that's kind of. Mm-hmm. I just I wanted to make sure you guys were reading mm-hmm. my emails and getting the most important information and. I figured a conversational approach with some mm-hmm. humor was probably my best bet. Mm-hmm. What kinds of things do people reply to you saying after that type of email? <laughs> um, well, uh, I was really surprised after one of them, it may have been the AT&T one, uh, one of the students uh, posted something about me on his Facebook page <laughs> and was like, go get him, Bob, you know, <laughs> and I got a real charge out of that. Um, and, yeah, they're all really, you know, complimentary they're mm-hmm. saying you know great thanks for going after trying to you know thanks for sticking up for us mm-hmm. thanks for letting us know what's going on mm-hmm. um so the other thing is um on my faqs you guys many of you know this because i found out uh so i send one set of faqs to students mm-hmm. and there's another that goes to the campus community that has wine recommendations mm-hmm. and so a lot i found out though that a lot of students because they've got you know great relationships with faculty and staff, the, they get some of these forwarded to them with the wine recommendations. Uh-huh. So for the faculty and staff, they uh, they really enjoy looking at the wine recommendation, and and they'll stop me now um, if I walk around campus. They'll say you know they'll stop me and say, hey, I got this party coming up, or you know we're going to serve X, Y, and Z. What should I get? What kind of wine do I get? So. Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't expecting that you know, uh-huh. when I started doing that, but that's been kind of fun. That's funny. Um, when thinking about kind of the future of technology at Santa Clara, yeah. uh, what what types of things are you are you interested in looking into investing in for maybe the next five years? Sure. So one of the big things that uh, everybody's going to see in about three and a half years mm-hmm. is a new ERP, Enterprise, Enterprise Resource Program. Uh, so right now we use PeopleSoft. Um, and that's the system that you guys use for grades and all of that kind of stuff, registering for classes mm-hmm. and what have you. It's archaic. 
It's 20 years old. It's been modified to death. It runs on a non-standard database, um, and it's cost exorbitant, very difficult to support. Um, so we're going to be transitioning to a new ERP called Workday. And Workday is a very modern ERP, and for the student module, um, it's built for mobile devices, and it's and it's built in the cloud. And so, consequently, uh, it's going to be a lot easier to support. It'll look and operate a lot better and a lot cleaner mm-hmm. on your phones and on your mobile devices. Um, that's how students and many faculty and staff now access information and do business with us is on personal devices, mobile devices. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's very difficult with our existing hardware and software, PeopleSoft, to be able to get it to work well in those environments. So so that's one of the things that I think that uh, you're going to see. We've got different projects here and there that we've partnered with different parts of the organization having to do with AI, um, visualization, those types of things. I think you're, go, you're going to see more and more of that type of thing. Mm-hmm. I think more and more spaces, learning spaces, um, whether that be a classroom or a lab or whatever, I think you'll see more and more types of technology infused into those spaces mm-hmm. um, as well. So um, I think a, a variety of different things will be uh uh, coming down the line, mm-hmm. the the VR virtual uh, virtual reality and augmented reality AR yeah. along married with the AI and mach- artificial intelligence and machine mm-hmm. learning, mm-hmm. I really think though that those four or five years out, I think that's really going to drive a lot of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I would be totally a fool in making it up to try to tell you what that looked like five years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a, at a gut level, I really think that those those technologies. Um, are really going to be players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and about artificial intelligence, virtual reality, mm-hmm. things like that. I guess how do you like how are you going to position Santa Clara to be able to adopt those? Right, like right. are you are you looking for other like organizations to kind of like come in and provide part of that, or like how do you kind of stay on top of the, right. that, that type of more far off? So one of the things that I've always tried to do is I want to create an IS or information services organization that is uh, agile, adaptable, malleable. We can turn on a dime. We can do what we need to do. So part of my answer to your question is I need to build the capacity in my organization with my staff Mm -hmm. so that when the future arrives, we can take advantage of it to the best of our abilities. I want to be opportunistic in the very best sense of that word, to grab a hold of any opportunities that wander down the road. Mm -hmm. So that's one aspect of it. Another was making sure, which we've already done, we replaced our network and now we have a very, very robust network. The network is everything. It gets us to the cloud, it gets us to our servers, it gets us to our digital resources here. Mm -hmm. So it would have been ridiculous to think about going after and upgrading into newer technologies or better technologies Mm if you went onto your computer and got the spinny wheel. Mm-hmm. That's not a real happy thing. So we, we, from an infrastructure standpoint, we positioned ourselves well. We're positioning ourselves well from a staffing standpoint. Mm-hmm. To the other part of your question, we're really interested, I'm really interested in partnerships. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I always, in, in, in the conversations I'll have with the Cisco's, IBM's, Apple's, Dell's of the world, I'm always saying to them, look guys, if you have a, a particular technology, if you have a, a piece of hardware, a piece of software, a service, a process, 
that you think is uh, is something that's new and upcoming and you're just starting to fiddle with it and you really want to try to figure it out, call us. Why don't you talk to us? Because it, there's a good chance we can find a home for it somewhere here. Mm -hmm. And then our students, our faculty, our staff can kind of kick the tires and see how it works so that mm -hmm. they can provide feedback, real-world feedback to you mm -hmm. as to what's going on. We also want to partner with the vendors because we see the types and listen to the types of things that they're looking at. Mm -hmm. um, that's very helpful. Also, to stay abreast with in our professional organizations to see what other our, our sister schools are doing, like mm -hmm. LMU or USF, Gonzaga, Georgetown. You know, what, what types of things are they looking at? So we mm -hmm. talk about that. But it's a, it's a really good question. I differentiate between leading edge and bleeding edge. Um, if I were a Stanford or a Harvard mm -hmm. and I had unlimited resources, I might want to be bleeding edge because I can afford to make mistakes. And you, bleeding edge meaning you're the first ones out, so you cut yourself to pieces and mm -hmm. bleed like crazy. I'd much rather be in the second wave in. I'd much mm -hmm. rather let somebody go out and get all cut up to pieces and then we're the second wave in and we're still going to take some lumps, but we've seen what kind of worked and what didn't work um, with, it, with whatever technology is being considered at the time. So I guess all of that kind of plays a part. Mm -hmm. And then my last bigger question is how, how do you think about managing your team, your, your staff? What leadership uh, strategies do you apply? So um, that's, I don't know that there's any one strategy, but um, so we're a team. First of all, you, you hit it. We're a team. Uh, we work as collaboratively as a group. Um, I, uh, the first meeting I had with uh, my directors, those are my direct reports in, I told them, look, folks, I don't have the most best or brightest ideas. I have some ideas. Sometimes they're good ones. Sometimes they're nuts. Um, you guys have ideas. And so um, my management style um, probably owes to a little bit to my debate training as well. But um, my style is to take an issue, to take a problem, to take an idea, and you put it on the table in the middle of the table with all of us kind of around it. Mm -hmm. And then we each go at it in our own way and describe it, talk about it, point out strengths, weaknesses, mm -hmm. um, and then kind of collectively see where we see where we get to with that kind of a discussion so it's a very um it's a collaborative style um it's i i want i i tell my again i tell my staff um you got to call me out if i say something that's wrong if an idea that i have isn't right if you disagree with an area that in a direction we're going you have to say something and then we'll talk about it and so it's um a lot of listening a lot of discussion, a lot of dialogue, um, multiple views, multiple um, multiple takes on a situation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, lots of communication. Um, and I, the other thing I'll say is, I think we have a lot of fun in my mm -hmm. division. Um, I, at least that's what I hope. We're, we work really hard, and I have high expectations for my staff. I freely admit that, and but that's okay because if you have high expectations, when you reach for those, you may not get there, but you'll go farther than if you set a medium or low expectation and ace it. Then what? And it's okay if you don't always get there, but at least you're reaching. I guess that goes back to what I said again about always becoming, always reaching, always trying to go uh, somewhere else. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, awesome. Well, I'd love to wrap up with a couple shorter questions. Okay, sure. So first of all, do you have any favorite places that you've traveled? Uh, favorite places that I've traveled. I love Hawaii. Um, that's fantastic. Maui and uh, um, some of the beaches there. Um, I'm from Wisconsin. There's a part of Wisconsin called Door County that's kind of like New England. Uh, that's a favorite place that I go. I love San Diego. Um, lots of different things there. So yeah, lots of different places. Um, well, but of course, being the wine recommender guy, <laughs> Napa Valley, uh-huh. you know, uh, that uh, rates uh, pretty high, uh-huh. if not the number one, uh, not the number one spot. So, mm-hmm. uh, do you have any favorite websites or apps or places to get news? I guess. So, um, news. That's <laughs> news in this day and age is different than it was, and with the other presidents and everything mm-hmm. else. So. Uh, um, I taught political science, so um, I also, because of the debate, I know that there's multiple views. So, no, I don't have one. Mm-hmm. If, if, there, if I had to name one site, maybe, maybe it would be Google News, mm-hmm. uh, kind of an aggregator. But what I do is I, I like to stay abreast of current events and politics. Mm-hmm. So I go to Google News, AP News, uh, NBC News, um, and uh, Fox News in the Huffington Post. Mm-hmm. And that paints about the entire spectrum. Mm-hmm. And so it's really interesting when you go to these sites, if you see stories that are coming out in each site, then you know it's gaining traction all the way mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. But so I, I tried to get a pretty broad spectrum. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, what, what about just non-news related like apps on your phone? Do you have any favorites there? Good question. (laughs) Let me pull out my phone and see what's... So I can tell you one thing that's uh, there is, uh, this is really parochial, but Flight Aware, which Mm -hmm. so when my friends visit me, I can Mm -hmm. see exactly where they are flying and everything on. Also, uh, Facebook, I mean, I I post things here and there with my friends. Weather Channel, that's not very exciting, but, you know, it's that's out there. I mean, that's one of the sites. It's always the same around here. Yeah, well, <laughs> or at least it used re- to be. It's been raining a little recently, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know that there's really, I don't know that there's any particular, oh, I, well, Pandora. Uh, mm-hmm. Pandora is absolutely one of my uh, my favorite mm-hmm. sites uh, for music and, and what have you, mm-hmm. so... If you could send a message to every person in the United States, what would you want to say? To every person in the United States, here's what I would say, and this is a, on a political bet. Mm-hmm. I would say, remember, no matter where you are on the political spectrum, this country, if, if, you, if you like what's going on or if you don't like what's going on in Washington, this country has seen worse um, and we're resilient. Our founders were genius in constructing the system that we have in place. Um, And so no one person can change who we are and what we do. Um, It takes it takes a lot of effort. And even though you see the headlines, Mm -hmm. take the headlines and put them aside and look at actual things that are occurring. And there are some things that if you're a Democrat, or a liberal, there are things that are occurring that are absolutely appalling to you. But it has it isn't wholesale change. The checks and balances kick in. Mm-hmm. And so so whether and, and the same would be said if uh, if Hillary Clinton had gotten elected. Mm-hmm. If if you're a conservative, just remember this country is seen worse. 
um, our checks and balances are there, our system works. Mm -hmm. um, and so I guess that given the, the general tone of, of discourse anymore and the huge amount of angst that exists at the moment, um, I think that perspective that perspective is helpful. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And finally, what does an ideal Saturday look like for you or a day when you're not working in the office? Okay, my ideal Saturday would be uh, meeting a group of friends in Napa Valley, mm -hmm. having uh, going and grabbing a sub from someplace, and then hitting some new wineries that we haven't tried before, and hitting uh, maybe a winery or two that we have and we know is really good. So if I'm lucky, it's good weather, and I've got great friends, and we're listening to great music, we're drinking great wine, eating great food, you know, and an idyllic location. That would that, that would be a pretty good Saturday. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for doing this interview. Absolutely. Thank it. you, Gavin. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. You can subscribe to Voices of Santa Clara on the iTunes podcast app. You can visit VoicesOfSantaClara.com for interview transcripts, and you can like the Facebook page. Special thanks to Miles Elliott for the music. Thank you for listening, and have a nice day.